Well, some, some sermons don't need uh, an introduction. All you have to do, you just read the Bible's text, and it, it creates so many problems and questions, you just start preaching. Right? Those are my favorite sermons. I don't have to work to get you interested. I just read the Bible, and you're like, that's, that's in the Bible? What, what are you? Let's watch Tim sweat for the next, you know, however long. That, that's really where we are this morning, Psalm 137. Now, when you hear this text, you're going to be offended. You're not going to be surprised that, that many Christians throughout history have determined this probably shouldn't make our hymnals or our responsive readings. There's a text of Scripture that's, that's largely been forgot or ignored from Scripture. It's, it's this one. And so as we start this morning, I just want to read the text. And we're going to jump right in because it's going to make you ask some questions. So here it is, Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres. For there, our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to the foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. The questions are immediate, aren't they? What? What's going on here? What does this mean? Or maybe even to some extent, how, how is this scripture? Doesn't this contradict everything Jesus said about loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, right? right repaying kindness, going the extra mile. And yet here in Psalm 137, the psalmist is praying for God to curse his enemies, and in particularly to, to see children of his enemies destroyed. And we say, really? This is in the Bible? And this isn't the only psalm like this. It's the most intense, it's the rawest, but it's not the only psalm in the Psalter that we have where the, psalm, uh, the psalmist cries out for God to respond with curses against his enemies. So for any thoughtful reader of the Bible, this is going to raise questions for us. They're called the imprecatory psalms, and, and we have to wrestle with why are they here? Why in the Psalter do we have these psalms where the psalmists are praying curses against their enemies? And yet here it is, Psalm 30, 137, in the middle of what I think is the master guide to prayer, the Psalter, the Psalms, the book of Psalms. And so the, the psalmist, the editors of the psalm, these, these men who wrote these psalms and put them together, thought you and I needed to know Psalm 137 if we're going to pray correctly, if we're going to pray rightly. We need this psalm. And if you, like me, believe that, that the Bible is God's inspired word, um, his, his Holy Spirit breathed out intention for how we're to live and what we're to believe about God, then it's not just that, that some psalmist thought we needed one psalm, or that we needed this psalm. It's, it's God himself thinks we need Psalm 137. So why? Why does God think we need this? Well, that's what the sermon we're going to try to answer this, this morning. Really just by unpacking this psalm. Letting the psalm speak for itself and lay out this is why we need this psalm. And, and really the psalm is pretty easy to, to go through. It's three points this morning. Get angry. Give it to God. Give praise. 
Get angry, give it to God, and, and give praise. Now we start with, with anger. That, I'm going to say something that's probably not controversial, and yet when you begin to work out its implication, it can, it can become controversial very quickly, that, that there are some things in this world worth getting angry about. That we all, right, we all have anger in our, our lives, whether it's, it's at our workplaces, whether it's with our families, our siblings, our, our parents, our kids, um, with our friends, with our family. There are, are things in this, this world we're going to get angry about. And I would even say more so there are things we're right to get angry about in this world. And granted, there are things that you're probably angry about that you shouldn't be angry about. But that's another sermon. We're not going to deal with that this morning. We're going to start from the premise. There are things absolutely in this world that you should be angry about. But the question for us this morning isn't should, uh, should we be angry, but what should we do with it? And why should be angry? Why should we be angry? Why, what should drive our anger? So Psalm 137 begins to unpack where this psalmist's anger comes from. In around 600 BC, at the time this psalmist would have, have lived, he was an Israelite. And at that day, not too much unlike our own um, day, there, there were, uh, whenever a nation would get very powerful, it would start getting aspirations to conquer the entire world. And so it would start invading other countries. So Babylon was the, the, the power of the day that, that was now invading into foreign countries. And so Babylon was taking over most of the known world and they began to set their sights on Israel, on the nation Israel. And they invaded and conquered Israel, destroying the city of Jerusalem, raising it down to the ground, burning to the ground. So this, this psalmist would have seen not just his own city burned to the ground or, or raised to the ground. He would have seen his own home raised to the ground. He would have seen his friends and family fight for their lives and die at the hands of the Babylonians. And apparently in light of verse 9, would have seen innocent kids slaughtered and, and killed at the hands of these Babylonians. It would have been crushing for him. And if, if that's not bad enough, the Babylonians took their conquest one step further. I mean, it's normal for countries to do this. You know, go in and destroy whole cities. But the Babylonians took it one step further. That what they would do is they would take, take you. Once they raised your city and destroyed your, your, your home and your, your place of dwelling, then they would, they would take you and they would deport you out of your homeland and, and force you to go live in Babylon. So they didn't just destroy your city, your family, your home. Then they deported you to a foreign land where you didn't know anyone. And the last thing you see from your homeland, the place where you had your family, the place where you gave your life, was it, it destroyed completely as you walked off into exile into a foreign city. And that's where Psalm 137 starts. Right? By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres. For there, our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Did you hear that word there three times, right? The, there in Babylon, in exile. And it gets worse, right? As we, we don't just move into this, they're, they're in a foreign land. But when we get to verse 3, something worse even begins to unpack itself, which is the Israelites were known uh, worldwide for their songs, right? Their Psalter, their Psalms were, were famous, so famous to the point that the Babylonians turned Israel's Psalter into a means of mocking Israel. They're going up to the Israelites saying, you guys, you guys wrote a bunch of songs about that city Zion that we came and destroyed, right? Why don't you sing us some of those songs? Play them for us. Which is why the Psalter or the psalmist begins by saying he, he set his lyre up on the willow. He hung up his musical instruments. He's going to stop singing because all his singing now does is mock him. 
It's just what was once a source of joy for him, the songs of Zion is now a source of pain. So recently, the, the movie 12 Years a Slave really captured this, this moment really well. This Psalm 137, verse 3, the movie 12 Years a Slave captures that, that verse well. The, the, in the movie, um, which is about Solomon Northrop, he was a, a free black who lived in the North United States in the 1800s. And he was a violin player. That was his profession. He played violin. And, and, and at one point in his life, he was captured um, illegally and forced into slavery into the South, where he lived in, in slavery for 12 years until his friends in the North were able to prove who he was and liberate him and move him back north. And one of the most powerful, or two of the most powerful scenes of the movie are when Solomon is playing his violin, now in slavery, in a captivity, instead of as a free man in, in the north as his profession. And the look on his face and the reality in which he's living into is, is powerful and gets at what Psalm 137 is getting at. So let's take a moment and see, see this clip from 12 Years a Slave. Imagine, imagine how brutal that would be, right? The, the instrument that once brought you joy is now the source of pain. And the reason why we need to see that clip before we get to Psalm 137 is because it's, it'd be easy for us in our place who've never experienced the sort of injustice that Solomon Northrup or this psalmist has experienced, for us to get to the end of verse 9 and think, what a, what a terrible thing to pray, what a horrible thing to say. That's easy for us. To say, and so we need to enter into his pain and his injustice and his suffering before we start to understand why he says what he says at the end of the psalm. Then imagine that the thing that, that got you, brought you most joy, your violin or the songs of Zion, now becomes the means by which you're mocked and cursed. So get angry. There are things in this world worth getting angry about. But it doesn't take long to see, in Psalm 137, his anger is, is very different than how that my anger tends to, to be. And so, we're, listen, there are things worth getting angry about, and yet we want to be angry about the right things. Right, that's application point number one. We have to push into that, that, that get angry, but get angry about the right things. Right, I think we tend to get angry over things that have ourselves at the, the center Right, the, the, my name, my reputation, my honor, that's what really drives my anger is when someone uh, offends me or, or it's an affront to me. But that's not what, that's not what drives the psalmist's anger here. I mean, obviously he's angry at what's been done to his city and to his people and to his family and to the children he knew. 
And yet the focus of his anger is around, in particular, Jerusalem. The three times Jerusalem is mentioned in Psalm 137, twice Zion is mentioned. So five times he goes back and mentions Jerusalem and Zion. Why? Well, Jerusalem, it's not just a city he lived in. Zion is, is not just a hill on the city in which he lived in. Jerusalem was the representation of God's plan and purposes for the entire world. Zion, it's not just a place. It's where God's temple was, where his presence dwelt. And so when the psalmist looks at the Babylonians, he doesn't just see the Babylonians attacking himself and his own country and his own people. He sees the Babylonians attacking God and God's people and God's plan and his purposes for this world. Because if, if Jerusalem goes down, the place that was meant to be a blessing to the whole world, the place that God had blessed to be a blessing, if Jerusalem goes down, it looks like God is going down. The Babylonians, they're not just opposing Israel. They're not just thumbing their nose at Israel. They're thumbing their nose at God himself. And that is why the psalmist is so angry. That God is at the center of his anger. God's plans, God's purposes, God's desires, God's justice. That is what drives the psalmist anger. So it's worth asking us this morning, what, what drives your anger? What makes you most angry? You, things about you that, that have you at the center, your name, your reputation, your honor. Listen, some of those are, are good things and okay things to be angry about. And that's why Jesus said in his life, listen, pray for your enemies. Love those who persecute you. Return evil with kindness. Jesus said, listen, you're not to re return personal evil with personal evil. But what about the people who hate God and oppose God in all he does and do so with violence and injustice and a vengeance? like we see here in Psalm 137. What about them? The enemies of God who trample on people made in God's image. What should we do about them? Well, that's where the psalmist goes. He gets angry, but with God at the center and God's name and God's reputation and God's glory and God's justice and God's image at the center of his anger. So get angry about the right things, but give it to God. That's where, where he goes next. That in verse 6, before he's going to ever say anything about the enemies of God, the Babylonians and the Edomites, he's going to first actually call down curses on himself. Did you catch that in verse, in verse 5? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. The psalmist, what he's saying there is, is, God, if I don't put your purposes, your plans, your desires first, may my right hand forget its skill. May I never play my instrument again. May my, my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. May I never sing again. But before he, he goes to deal with God's enemies, he deals with himself first. And he says, God, if, I, if you're not first in my life, may I never sing, may I never play my instrument again. Right, and so before he's going to utter what he's about to utter, he deals with his own heart first. God, are you first, really, truly, deeply first in my life? But then we get to the troubling part, right, where he begins to call down curses on his enemies. And he starts with, with the Edomites. The Edomites were, were neighbors of the Israelites. And what would happen is when you have these, these huge, powerful countries like Babylon begin to try and take over the whole world, there were a lot of smaller nations who saw the handwriting on the wall and they would join the big, the big uh, nations so that they, they didn't get conquered. They weren't liquidated. Right? They had to pay lots of taxes, but that was better than the alternative. 
And so that's what the Edomites did. They joined in with the Babylonians. And as the Babylonians began to invade Israel, the Edomites did not, did not say to the Babylonians, hey, be easy on the Israelites, our neighbors, our relatives. Don't, don't go too, ru- too rough on them. No, what the Edomites said was, make it worse for them. Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to the foundations. Kill the city, destroy Jerusalem, down to its foundations. And what the psalmist says is, God, don't forget their vengeance. Don't forget their injustice, their violence. Don't forget what they did to us, God. Which is a fair prayer, right? To ask God to remember what's been done to you when you've been the victim of this sort of, of violence and injustice. But then he goes to the Babylonians, to the invading, conquering nation. And, and his, his focus of his prayer is, God, do to the Babylonians what they did to us. Right? Bless is the one who, who does to them what they did to us, which I think for many of us would be an okay prayer. I mean, if we're honest, right? I mean, when we see people who are, are perpetrators of injustice, we say to God, God, don't forget what they did and finish their, visit their, their punishment onto their head. But it's, it's verse 9 when we find out what the Babylonians did, where this becomes problematic. Because apparently what the Babylonians had done was, was slaughter innocent children as a part of their invasion to Israel. And again, it'd be easy for us in our position to, to see that and say, boy, that's just, that's bad praying. That's, we should never pray like that. But, but you have to enter into their story for a minute if you're going to understand why the psalmist is praying this. So why is the psalmist praying this? What do we say about this? And the one thing to say, which we'll unpack more, is, is you have to pray out your anger. You're going to get angry if you live long enough in this world. You've got to pray it out. And two, or maybe even three reasons why that's important. First, praying our anger out, it keeps our eyes open to the real world in which you and I live. Right? The psalmists, they pray in the world that is. And they find that the world that is has a lot of evil. Enemies are all around. It's psalm prayer. It's not, it's not blind to this world. It's not shutting your eyes, hiding in your closet, and hoping all is well. It's eyes open to a world that's full of evil. So Charles Templeton may be a name that you, you don't recognize, but for a, lo- a, a big chunk of his life, he was a preacher um, of the gospel. Billy Graham even thought he was a better preacher than, than Billy um, was. He, he toured around the, the country um, preaching alongside Billy Graham at, at revivals. But over time, he, he began to struggle with, with his faith. And in particular, he saw one picture that undid whatever faith or whatever claims to faith he had at one point. And he reflected on this picture he looked at in 2001, just before his death. Here's what he said. He said, I was reading Life magazine, and there was a photograph in the magazine of a black woman in northern Africa, and she was holding her dead baby in her hands and looking up to heaven. And I looked at it, and I thought, how could a loving God do this to this woman? How is it possible to believe that there is a loving or caring creator when all this woman needed was rain? And my reaction to that is, is Charles Templeton must not have read the Psalms. Or maybe he did, and he missed how much this time the psalmists spend talking about enemies and evil, about a world that's opposed to God. Or maybe he lived like I lived for many years as a Christian, with eyes blind and shut to the world that is, a world where not all is well, and evil is around, and there are people who are wicked people that, that wield a lot of power and a lot of influence to do harm to others. 
The Psalms are not prayed like that. The Psalms are not prayed sipping on tea, kneeling next to precious moments, figuring with Josh Groban singing gently in the background. It's not how they're prayed. They're prayed with gesturing and yelling and frustration with eyes open to a world that is deeply unjust. The psalmists shake their fists at God. Eugene Peterson describes psalm prayer like like this, that immersed by prayer in this holiness, we see clearly what we never saw before, the utter and terrible sacrilege of enemies who violate a good creation, who brutalize the women and men who are made, every one of them in the image of God. There is an enormous amount of suffering epidemic in the world because of evil people. The rape and pillage are so well concealed in polite language and courteous conventions that some people can go years without seeing it. And we ourselves did not see it. But now we see it and we hate it. And to take a step further even, there's, there's not just things in this world that are worth being angry about. There are things in this world worth hating. Worth hating. And so that's the second reason you and I have to pray out our anger, pray out our hate even. And so we need, one, to keep our eyes open to this world. But second, we need to pray out our anger so that we don't become our enemies. So then we, we don't become what it is that we hate. Right, the one thing we cannot misunderstand from one, Psalm 137 is that, that our hate is not a, it's not a good thing. Right? You get to verse 9, it's not a good thing that the psalmist wants to see innocent children die. That's not a good thing, but it's in him. Right? It's, it's inside of him, and he's got to pray it out. And so our, our hate's not good, and that's why when Jesus came, he didn't come praying imprecatory psalms against us. Right? He didn't pray imprecatory psalms against his enemies, even though his enemies took a leather strap and attached rock to it and attached Jesus' skin against that rock when they crucified him. Jesus had every reason to pray curses down on his enemies, but he didn't. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our hate is not a good thing by itself. And so you ask, well, why is Psalm 137 here? Then why is it there? Because the psalmists aren't like us. They're far more honest than us, right? We want to... We want to put on nice little dresses and bows or our, our ties and tie them up and tuck in our shirt and put our belt right. And we, are, we come before God and we pray nice little Christian boys and girls and that's how we pray. But the psalmist know what's in us. We hate. We get angry. And we have to pray it out. We have to pray it out of us. And Psalm 137 is a plea for us to pray whatever is in us, to give it to God, to let him take that from us. Because here's where we have to be careful. I think it'd be easy for us as we think about evil, think about our enemies and think we're, we're immune from that. That we, don't, we would never do what our enemies do. And, and we tend to think, right, when cartoons uh, depict evil, right, it's little cartoon devil figures with little horns sticking out of their mouth. They just look like a joke and we don't take them seriously. But evil is far more crafty and subtle and dangerous than ridiculous looking demon creatures. Evil is far more subtle. It's far more dangerous. We don't see it coming. Which is why people like the Babylonians, when they invade a country, feel the need to, to kill innocent children. The evil is far more dangerous. And if we don't take the hatred and the anger in us and pray it out and give it to God, we'll become like the very things we hate. And C.S. Lewis, I think, has the best unpacking of what the subtlety of what evil is. How it doesn't look like we, you and I tend to think it looks like. Here's his quote in his introduction to his book, The Screwtape Letters. He writes this, The greatest evil is conceived and ordered, moved, seconded, carried, and minuted in clean, carpeted, warmed, and well-lighted offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks 
who do not need to raise their voices. And just to unpack that um, for a minute, you know that's true. No matter where your politics land, whether you're, you lean more politically to the, to the right or to the left, you, you've seen this borne out, right? If, if you lean more to the right, then you probably would, would consider abortion to be one of our, our society's greatest evils. And so if you're on the right, think about where, where was that established within our culture? In a Supreme Courthouse, justices wearing robes, well-lighted room, where an opinion was moved and written down and ordered and carried with no need to raise voices. Or if, if you're more politically on the left, then you would say one of the, the greatest evils in our culture, um, in our country, has, through our, our past has been, been racial injustice. Where, where was that evil carried, moved, minuted, and seconded? Well, in, in halls of Congress, where men with nice haircuts and smooth shaven ch- ch- cheeks and cut fingernails, no need to raise their voices, moved, ordered, and passed those laws. The C.S. Lewis points out that is the face of evil. And you and I, everyone, are susceptible and possible for that kind of evil, which is why when we hate, and we're going to, why when we're angry and we're going to get angry, we've got to pray it out. We have to give it to God. Because there are things in this world that are worth getting angry about, worth hating. And so like the Babylonians who dash innocent children against the rocks, whatever it is that in your life that drives your anger, or your hatred, there are things in this world that justify it. And so the question for us then becomes to be, not, not are we going to get angry? We're going to. But who's going to get it? Who's receiving your anger right now? Your family, your coworkers, your kids, your spouse, your parents. Someone is getting your anger. And it's probably not helping, is it? The God is actually the one person who wants your anger. And the Psalms are saying, listen, not all of your anger, not all of your hatred, that's not all good stuff. But it's all stuff that has to be prayed out before your God. That our anger, it's a seed that if we give it to God, he can replant it in us and it can bring out new life and new passions and new joys where we work for justice or work for his kingdom in this world. But if we plant the seeds of anger in our own heart and that's where we leave it, that seed will grow into a hatred and an evil where we become and begin to reflect the evil in which we first lamented. We'll become our enemies if we don't pray out that anger. So get angry. Give it to God. He's the one person who actually wants your anger. No one else is interested in it, but God wants it, so give it to him. And lastly, give praise. And this may be the point where you've, you've, you're looking at the psalm and you're like, I don't, I don't see these verses, Tim. Where are you, where are you getting from, from this? this? It ended with the children part, and that doesn't seem like praise. Um, and the reason is, anytime you come to a hard... A hard chapter in the Bible, it's really important not to just stick there and look, and, and look for meaning, right? It's like if, you're, if, you're getting, if you get into a forest and you get lost, you got to climb a tree and look around for help. Like, where, which way am I supposed to be walking here? And that's what we need to do with Psalm 137 is climb a tree and get our bearings. And when you climb a tr- the tree of the Psalter, when you, you begin to get a bigger picture of what the book of Psalms is doing, let's listen, Psalm 137, it was never meant to be read by itself. We have 150 psalms that were designated into five different books of the Psalter. And each of those five books ends in the exact same way, with praise. 
That when the Hebrews wanted to give a title to the book of Psalms, the, the title they gave was Book of Praises. Right, which raises the question, how does, how does Psalm 137 make it into the Book of Praises? Right, and you read all 150 Psalms, what you find is the majority of Psalms have complaints, have laments in them. Which raises the question, how does a book of complaints and laments in Psalm 137, how do the, the Hebrews say, that's the Book of Praises? Well, it's not by... By accident that every one of the five books of the Psalms ends in praise. And it's not by accident that the Psalter itself, the last five Psalms, end in praise. Exuberant, loud crescendo of praise. Like anytime you go to a good 4th of July fireworks celebration, right? The, the grand finale is when all of the, or many of the fireworks get let off, let off at once, right? And you have this, this beautiful picture in the, the sky. There was, I don't know if you saw this on YouTube, but there was a clip of, there's one city who accidentally uh, mistimed their, their firings and literally all the fireworks went off at once. Like their entire show was over in two minutes. It looked amazing, right? But it was over in two minutes. And that's, that's really what Psalm 146 through 150 is. It's loud praises like crazy where the Psalter crescendos to an end. So why? Why did the editors of the Psalm, why did when God put together the book of Psalms, why did he do it like that? Because all prayer pursued far enough will become praise. And it doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter if you start with hatred or with anger or with injustice or depression or sadness or whether your joy and your life is great. If you start on the Psalms way of prayer, it will end in praise. And it may take the rest of your life or it may start tonight. I don't know how long it will take, but your prayers lead you to one place. All roads of prayer through the Psalms lead you to praise. And so wherever you're at, whether it's anger, whether it's with sadness, whatever you have in you, pray it out. Give it to God and watch it become praise. Maybe you hear all that and you think, but you don't know, Tim, my story or what I'm carrying with me. That There's no way what I have right now can become praise. Absolutely no way. And I, to that I would just say, the one person who actually took on all of the evil in the world Everything worth hating, everything worth lamenting, everything worth saying, dash their children against the rocks. The one person who took all of that in and of himself forgave and became a person of praise. And when we pray the Psalms, we, we, don't just, we don't just pray them to a God who stands distant off in heaven listening to our anger and complaints. He's someone who's entered into the things that we hate, the things that drive our anger, the things that frustrate us. He's become a part of that story with us. Jesus, God sending his own son to enter into that story with us. And on the cross, he bore everything worth hating in this world. Everything that's made us angry, everything we've done to others that they've made, us, made them hate us or made them angry. Everything Jesus bore in himself on the cross, dying for it and taking it off to hell where it belongs. Every piece of it. So if you hate, if you're angry, if you carry bitterness in your heart, Give it to Jesus. He knows where to take it. And he took it there, all of it, for us, so that he could come back and we could enter into a life of praise. And, and if, that, if that is true, if the one person who absorbed all the hatred and the wickedness and the evil, all the things the Babylonians did, all the things you and I do every day in our lives, everything that's broken, evil, wrong about this place, if Jesus absorbed that into himself and died and came back with life and praise, then if you want to be a person in praise, that's the person to follow, Jesus. If you want out of your anger and into praise, follow him. Let's pray.